0: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome we, in. We. Episode 4. We are. Hey, so hey. Hey. Hey, the podcast. It is sweeping America, the Auto tour Sports Podcast. It is Friday, January 14th. 2022 people i hope everybody is doing well i hope everybody is having a great day and i hope everybody is ready for a fun friday edition the ffe baby of the erator sports podcast lot to get into today college football is over i do want to lead with a college football topic though georgia winning its first national championship since 1980 not sure if you heard it happened on monday night and it was also Georgia's first win as a national champion of the college football playoff era. So I ask the question, who is the next team to win its first championship of the college football playoff era? I have a few Teams that I think will be interesting to discuss and debate. We will come back. We will talk a little college hoops. Uh, we'll talk about uh, two topics I really want to get to. One, I believe Auburn is making their case as the best team in college basketball, or at least the team most deserving of being ranked number one in the country. And then from there, I do want to talk about them. Will Wade, 15-1. and one. Is it time that we start to appreciate whatever you think of Will Wade? You're going to get mad but I do think it's time we appreciate what he is doing with that LSU program as they are off to a phenomenal start doing it with mostly transfers and two three-star recruits. With that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is, not sure if you listened to the last episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast because this was the only place that you could get this information. On Monday night, Georgia won the national championship. That's right, Nowhere else could you find that information. I hope you listened to Tuesday's episode because we talked a lot about Georgia's national championship. But as I just said a moment ago... Georgia winning the national championship, I believe, is a good thing for college football, and it's for a lot of the reasons that I've talked about, really, frankly, for years at this point on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, is that if you go back through the playoff era, right? The college football playoff was supposed to be this thing that created parity, that created national interest, that created inclusion instead of exclusion when we had the BCS championship game with just two teams. And instead what happened was it really kind of became the Alabama Clemson Invitational with a few of their buddies coming along for the ride. Um, You go through the history of the college football playoff, Ohio State wins the first one, we know about that, Urban Meyer, second, third year, whatever it was. And then from there, starting from 2015 to 2019, it was four straight years, it was Bama Clemson, Bama Clemson. And so at that point, college football I'll readily admit, it started to feel a little Bama-Clemson heavy, that if you weren't Bama, if you weren't Clemson, everybody else is playing for second place, and nobody outside of maybe one or two other programs could even compete with them, maybe in Ohio State, maybe in Oklahoma, but it felt like it was becoming a very a sport that was very much defined by those two teams, and so I bring it up because I think the last three years of college football has been good for the sport as a whole, 2019. LSU wins its third championship of this century dating back Nick Saban, Les Miles, and of course Coach O two years ago in 2019, three years ago by technicality, Um, and then last year Alabama wins it. It's a weird COVID year, whatever, and now this year Georgia wins it, which means that two of the last three years we have had a new national champion, and again, I believe that is good for the sport of college football. I believe for the health of college football, it can't just be one, two teams at the top. There have to be teams that at least believe they can compete and get in the mix towards the end of the season and be in the mix as the season ends. As I've said many times, I thought it was great this year that Michigan toppled Ohio State. I thought it was great that somebody other than Oklahoma won the Big 12, because again, it gives so many programs hope, it gives so many programs uh, a belief that if Michigan can beat Ohio State, Well, now all of a sudden, Michigan State fans say, well, we beat Michigan, they beat Ohio State, we could beat Ohio State, give us another year or two. Penn State fans, we're not that far off. And so I bring all this up to say, I think Georgia winning the national championship with some new blood in the college football playoff was good for the sport, which brings me to the actual topic of the day, and that's what I just talked about a moment ago. Two of the last three national champions in college football were first-time teams winning the national championship in the playoff era. LSU in 2019, third championship this century, but first of the college football playoff era, and Georgia, of course, on Tuesday night. And so my question for you guys and girls who listen to this show, and you know how much I appreciate everything that you do for me, is who is the next program? Who is the next team that goes into the playoff? Maybe it's their first time, maybe it isn't, But who is the next team to win their first championship of the playoff era? So essentially, what program besides Alabama, who's won a bunch of them, Clemson, who's won two, Ohio State, who won the first one, LSU and Georgia, who've won two of the last three? Which program is next in line to take home, as my buddy Chris Plank down in Oklahoma calls it, the skinny trophy? And so I came up with seven schools. Now, I think the first two or three are pretty obvious. After that, you kind of got to build an argument. But I came up with seven schools that I believe could be the next team to win its first championship of the playoff era. And again, we'll work under the assumption that uh, we stick with a 14 playoff. Eventually, we'll go to 12. But let's stick with four for now. The first team, I think it is by far the most obvious. And that's the Texas A&M Aggies. And the reason I think Texas A&M is by far the most obvious, I think there's really three reasons. I think one, they have a national championship winning coach. Now, I know Jimbo Fisher didn't win it in the playoff era. I know that when he did it, it was the BCS era. Ironically, he played Auburn, and you could argue that Alabama was actually the best team in college football that year, or at least the best team that would have given Florida State the toughest opposition or uh, you know, the toughest opponent in that uh, national championship game. But that's irrelevant. The, The bottom line is they have a coach who has done it before. I do think that matters. They have a coach that knows what it looks like to have a national championship caliber roster. And I think that's important. The second part is exactly what I just said. Jimbo Fisher knows what a national championship caliber roster looks like. And he's slowly building one in College Station. And I've talked a ton about Texas A&M over the last few weeks. I've talked a ton about the roster and program that they're building. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you want to know who is the next team that is most likely to win the college football playoff for the first time, the answer is pretty simple. It's the team with the most good players that hasn't won it yet. And that answer, maybe not this particular second, but over the next year or two, is going to be Texas A&M. Listen, we could talk about how great this coach is, how great that coach is, all this, that, that the other thing. The bottom line is, we all know if you don't have players, it doesn't matter, right? Remember Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart, after that world's largest outdoor cocktail party, they're both asked about recruiting. Dan Mullen says, we don't talk about recruiting during the season. Kirby Smart says, look, I, I, I love my coaching staff. I'm proud of what we've accomplished, but I can't do it without those 85 guys in the locker room. The smart ones understand it is about recruiting, And there is nobody that is recruiting right now at a higher level that has yet to win a championship in the playoff era than Texas A&M. We talked about it a ton a few weeks ago when Texas A&M inked the number one recruiting class. And then, oh, by the way, got another two or three five-star commitments since then. But you look at what they've done. First of all, they signed the number one class in America this year. And on top of that, I would say it's actually statistically the number one class of all time. Now, I know it's a little bit different because this year you can sign a few more guys out of high school because of the transfer portal. But the point remains that this a and class that's coming in, they're not on campus yet, but they'll be there in the fall. Some of them will probably enroll in the spring. Is the most talented recruiting class in the history of college football. And so I think that matters in terms of talking about teams that are going to be capable of winning national championships in the next two or three years. But what's important with Jimbo Fisher is the idea that this isn't his first rodeo and this isn't his first great recruiting class. As a matter of fact, when next season starts, here are the last four recruiting classes for Texas A&M. His 2022 class, all the players will be freshmen, number one in the country. Nobody's even close right now. I don't want to say that Alabama and Georgia are close, but A&M is number one. His 2021 class, so the kids that just finished their freshman year, number eight recruiting class in the country. 2020 class, number six in the country. And his 2019 class, kids that will be in their fourth year on campus next year, they were the number four class in the country in 2019. And so I bring it up because you look at that that, that roster next year. You are going to be talking about a roster that has four top 10 classes, three top six classes, and a number one recruiting class in the country. And so to me, A&M is the most obvious answer because, again, we could sit here and talk about X's and O's, but as the old saying goes, we know it comes down to Jimmy's and Joe's. A&M is going to have more than any of them. The other reason that I like A&M as potentially that next team to break over the hump, they've been really, really, really close. There's a lot of teams that got to take a lot of steps, right? We'll talk about if Michigan has a chance in a minute. We'll talk about Penn State, uh, all these other schools. Team that didn't make this list, but Florida. Florida has a national championship pedigree, but it's going to take a lot of steps. New head coach, never coached the Power Five. It's going to take a lot of steps. AM was already on the brink last year. AM finished number five in the country. You can make a legitimate case they should have been number four. And so I bring it up just to say... They were already in the college football playoff conversation last year, and there's a very good argument they should have been in it. They've been on the cusp. They're recruiting at an elite level. To me, Texas A&M is the most obvious team. The number two team, I would argue, is the second most obvious by a long shot, and then after that, it starts to kind of have a trickle-down effect, and that is, it's the USC Trojans. It is the USC Trojans with Lincoln Riley, which sounds insane. They're coming off a 4-8 and year, and I'm not saying they're close, right? Like, Texas A&M is close. Texas A&M, I could see the scenario they're in the playoff next year. I don't know if they can win the national championship next year in a season where C.J. Stroud is going to be back at Ohio State. Bryce Young will be back at Alabama. uh, Stetson Bennett can be back at Georgia. But I could see the scenario that A&M is in the mix. I could see the scenario that A&M is in the playoff as one of those four teams. USC isn't anywhere close, but USC has a bunch of stuff going for it. First of all, I think their roster is probably a little bit more talented than people realize. Now, I think they have major holes, major deficiencies, especially along the lines. But their talent on that roster is pretty darn good. I talked about it a few days ago when I talked about Texas A&M's recruiting class, but 24-7 Sports does something about something called the talent composite rankings okay so we look at these individual classes well a and m's class in this year was t- the, the number 1 and the year before was number 6 and this what the talent composite does is it takes all four of your most recent classes all of the guys on your roster and they put together who has the most talented roster when you look at all the four recruiting classes that are currently on campus and so why do i bring it up it is because usc believe it or not had the number 10 most talented roster in college football, according to 24-7 Sports, which speaks to how incompetent Clay Helton was and how poor the development of USC was because they had a roster that on paper, based on recruiting rankings, was more talented than Michigan's, who just made the playoff, was more talented than Notre Dame's, who of course finished whatever, uh, fifth in the final playoff poll, was more talented than Cincinnati's for sure. And so, one, I think Lincoln Riley is already working off of a talent base that is way better than people realize. I think, two, he is going to be a recruiting monster at USC, okay? I went back and looked. He's been very selective on the high school players that he's brought in to USC since he's gotten there. Now, he's taken about three or four transfers. But in terms of the high school players that he has signed, he has only gotten four commitments from high school players so far. How about this? All four are ranked in the top 100 nationally. Damani Jackson, number two cornerback in in high school football, committed to USC. Relique Brown, number two running back in high school football, committed to USC. Zion Branch, number six safety, number top 50 player overall, committed to USC. C.J. Williams was committed to Notre Dame, top 10 receiver, top 100 player, committed to USC. So you look at that. Lincoln Riley coming in at the last minute in late November, early December, and he already got four top 100 players, imagine what he is going to do when he has a full offseason and a full year in recruiting. We look ahead to 2023. He's already got four commitments. Three of them are among the top 30 players nationally. All of them, it's worth noting, are from west of Las Vegas. They're either from Southern California or Las Vegas. Now, he's going to go get other players, but we all know that Southern California is one of the most fertile recruiting grounds in the country. And so because of it, he is going to be able to recruit at an elite level right away. Now, I still think it's going to take some time. I still think you're going to have to supplement through the transfer portal. But I would also say they have a chance to fix this thing really quick between high school recruiting and the portal. We've talked a lot about Caleb Williams. As I record here on Monday, on, on, on Thursday night, excuse me, Caleb Williams has not committed. But if Caleb Williams comes in, this team isn't that far off from competing for the Pac-12. And so to me, that's the other variable as well. They're more talented than you realize. They're going to recruit at an insane level. And here's the other part. They might have the easiest access to the college football playoff of any team that I am talking about because they play in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 stinks. Only Oregon is half decent. And um, and so I bring that up because... Only Oregon is half decent, and it's, it, it's, it's important in this conversation because there is nobody that is going to have better access to the playoff than USC just because of who they have to play on a yearly basis. So I look at USC, I think they are a clear-cut number two because of the access, because of the talent that they're bringing in, and of course, because of the talent that is already on the roster. Going through some other teams really quick, and I'll be much quicker on some of these, the first one that immediately comes to mind is the Oklahoma Sooners, and it's tough, because Oklahoma, I, like I said, I think a and is a clear number one. Then there's a gap, and I think USC is a clear number two. And then from there, I think there's a big gap, and I think you can make a case for a lot of different teams. Next one would be Oklahoma, but I don't think the case is nearly as strong for Oklahoma as it is for the other top two schools that I mentioned. The reasons that I think you can make the strong argument for Oklahoma is because as long as they're in the Big 12, they just have that advantage, right? Kind of what I just said, access for USC. Nobody for USC, USC has nobody that when USC is at its best can compete with it, and Oklahoma only has Texas, and until I see Texas not being a total dumpster fire, I'm not going to believe it. So as long as Oklahoma is in the Big 12, they're going to have a huge talent advantage over everybody else, and it is worth noting they could have three more full seasons in the Big 12. We don't know if they will, but they could. And so I bring it up to very simply say that you just look at their records. I mean, prior to this season, they had won six straight Big 12 titles. And if you take out the COVID year where they only played 11 games, they won 10 or more games in 11 of the previous 12 seasons. And so I talk about Oklahoma because they're just going to be better than everybody. And when you win games, it allows you to stay healthy. It allows you to this. It allows you to that. It allows you to get to the playoff without really pushing yourself, whereas we all know The SEC is a week-in, week-out grind the way that nobody else has to deal with it. On top of that, I would say this. I think Oklahoma is probably a more talented roster than a lot of people realize. Now, there's been some major reshuffling over the last couple weeks, and obviously Caleb Williams transferred, Spencer Rattler, who was the starter and then the backup, he transferred, uh, Mario Williams, one of the top wide receivers, transferred. So it's not quite what it was. But if you look at their across-the-board talent, again, in that composite talent ranking, Oklahoma was actually ranked number six. Oklahoma was ranked only behind Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU. And so their talent across the board is probably better than people give it credit for. And now the question becomes, can they play like almost as good offense? And they brought in a very talented, young offensive coordinator named Jeff Lebby from Ole Miss. Can they be almost as good on offense, like 80%, And be significantly better on defense with Brent Venables as a first-year head coach? And I think the answer might be yes. And so to me, if you're just a little bit better on defense and you're way better on offense or excuse me, (laughs) take that back. If you're just about the same on offense, maybe even a little bit worse, and you're way better on defense, all of a sudden that changes the paradigm when you get to the college football playoff. Because what's the college football playoff then? Well, we could score, but we can't stop anybody. Couldn't stop Georgia when we played them. Couldn't stop Bama when we played them. Certainly could not stop LSU the last time that Oklahoma made the college football playoff. And I do think that Brent Venables, I do think, again, we talked about it when he got hired. I think he's the right fit for this program at this time. I do think that um, he understands what it takes to build a championship caliber roster because he came from Clemson. And so I do think that's an advantage where I do think the disadvantages come in and where I do think Oklahoma is a distant third behind AM and and USC is pretty straightforward. One, we've seen them in the playoff. And while they do recruit at a very good level, while they are very talented, we also got to call a spade a spade here it hasn't even been close when they get to the college football playoff. And so if it hasn't been close when they get to the college football playoff, I don't know how it's going to get better. I don't know how magically over one offseason they're going to go from getting embarrassed when they get to the college football playoff to now they're going to start beating teams and win two games in the college football playoff when right now they are, I believe, 0-4 in the history of the college football playoff. Number two, I just don't think we know about what, what, you know, we don't know Brent Venables. Now, I think Brent Venables is going to work. I think he's going to be a good coach for them, but I don't know. I mean, you can criticize Lincoln Riley and, oh, my God, he never built the program. He inherited it from Bob Stoops and blah, 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 and this and that. You can criticize other guys. Jimbo Fisher is – but it, but at least there's a track record. I mean, Lincoln Riley won, what, four Big 12 titles in five years at, at, at Oklahoma? Jimbo Fisher has won a national championship even if it isn't an AM? We don't know about Brent Venables. He could be terrible. I don't think he will be, but I think he could be, and I think that's a, f- a factor. I think the final factor with Oklahoma, and it's an important one, oh, they're going to the SEC in a few years, and I would think and I would hope that by then we have the college football playoff figured out, and I think and hope that by then we go to 12 teams. I actually don't hope. I kind of like it at four, but we're going to 12 teams, and the path is just going to be that much harder. And so it kind of feels like if Oklahoma doesn't win the college football playoff in the next few years, it ain't gonna get easier once they get to the SEC. Although I guess the counter argument would be if you get to the SEC, you play week in and week out. If you win the SEC at some point, then you're gonna be good enough to win a national championship. If you get there. Oklahoma's number three. Number four, and this is when it really starts to to take a big gap. I'll say Michigan. And Michigan's the first one on this list. I, I don't think it's going to happen, okay? First of all, as I record here, Jim Harbaugh is still the Michigan head coach. That could change in a minute. But let's work under the assumption that Jim Harbaugh is still the Michigan head coach next year, year after, year after, in perpetuity, okay? Or the next five years or whatever. I think you can make the argument for Michigan and against Michigan as a couple simple things. The argument, against, let, let me actually start with the argument against Michigan because I think it's more interesting, right? The more The argument against Michigan is they just don't recruit at a high enough level, and that's not a disrespect, but I say it all the time. There's a difference between the number one pick in the NBA draft and the number 12 pick in the NBA draft, right? I say it all the time. Number one pick, you're trying to get a guy that changes your franchise forever. Number 12 pick, you're trying to get somebody that's just kind of pretty good, and it's the same with recruiting in football. There's a big difference between the talent that you're bringing in with, say, the number one class and the number nine class, the number one class and the number 12 class, the number one class and the number 15 class. And so there does seem to be kind of a baseline level of recruiting that you have to do to win at the highest level. Now, there's been exceptions the year Cam Newton was at Auburn. They didn't have a great talent base. Clemson, some of their early championship teams were carried much more by Deshaun Watson and than they were super-duper-duper talented. But the argument against Michigan is they recruit really, really, really well, um, but they don't recruit at an insanely elite level. And I think there's an argument to be made that they never will, right? Northeast school, cold. I guess they're not northeastern, but Midwest school, it's cold. There's not a lot of prospects. um, And like they're recruiting at about as well of a level as you possibly can. And I think we saw that in the college football playoff. We saw, like, Michigan had a great season. Michigan was awesome. Michigan was not Georgia, though. And so as good as they were, 12-1, everything aligned. We're not even close to Georgia. And, of course, if they had beaten Georgia and somehow had to play Alabama, it wasn't going to be any prettier. Here is why I could see the scenario where Michigan, assuming Jim Harbaugh stays, I could see the scenario that they could win one. I don't think it's likely, but I think they can. And that reason is pretty straightforward. Well, it's, it's a couple reasons. I think, first of all, and this is most important, they win a ton of games, right? And so we saw the scenario for Michigan where they're not recruiting at the level of Ohio State. And so because of it, I don't think this year flipped the narrative where now Michigan's going to win five out of every six against Ohio State. But we saw the scenario where Michigan wins a ton of games. And all it takes is one little dip from Ohio State. And Ohio State might be in the middle of that dip right now, by the way. They just hired a new defensive coordinator. The defense is a mess. But I bring it up to say, Ohio State, like the, like the idea that they're just going to bounce back and go 12-0 and go into the playoff next year, I think it's far from certain. Now the offense is going to be awesome. We saw that in the Rose Bowl. But that defense is going to take a lot of work. And so where I think Michigan becomes interesting, to, to Jim Harbaugh's credit, you can crush him for a lot, but I bring up the stats all the time. Seven full seasons... Take out the COVID year at six. He now has four 10-win seasons, five nine-win seasons in six full years. So if you're literally beating everybody other than Ohio State, we saw what happens if Ohio State takes a little dip. Now Michigan State's there, Penn State's there, whoever. But Harbaugh got over the hump. He won the games he had to, and it's not inconceivable that it can't happen again, beat Ohio State, get into the playoff. What I would say from there is this is where it's interesting. Is the argument is, well, we saw it happening against Georgia. My argument would be the four best teams don't always make the playoff. And Michigan was really one little fluky thing. Not fluky. They were one thing away from playing for a national championship this year, and that's this. If Georgia beats Bama in the SEC championship game, like we understand Michigan's going to be playing for a national championship, right? Because if Georgia beats Bama in the SEC championship game, Bama's out of the playoff picture, which means that the playoff is probably Georgia, Michigan's the number two seed. Cincinnati is the three seed. And probably Notre Dame is the four seed. And so, because of it, you look at it and you sit there and kind of say, <clears> hmm, <throat> if they had to play Cincinnati instead of Georgia, they'd probably beat Cincinnati. And if they get to a one game situation against Georgia, anything could happen. Then Georgia comes in as an overwhelming favorite. Then they are expected to win. Then maybe that crowd that was 80% Georgia fans, 20% Alabama fans. Maybe it's 40% Georgia fans, 60% Michigan fans, because Michigan's a a short drive away. And so I just bring it up to say, the four best teams don't always get in. And if you get a weird year like this year, where you get the right matchup, now you're in the championship game, now it's a one and done, stranger things have happened. I'd also say they might have the quarterback that's gonna take them over the top, which AJ McCarthy. But I would say of all the teams outside of the obvious ones, I, I do think Michigan is in the mix. It's also worth noting they've won one split national championship since 1997, so it's not as easy as people think. Uh, I'll rip through a couple other ones. Again, these are getting pretty far down the totem pole. First one that came to mind outside of Texas A&M, USC, Michigan, Oklahoma, um, Penn State. And let me explain why. First of all, James Franklin hasn't been as bad as people think. James Franklin has not been as bad as people think. If you go back, and this is the this is why I think James Franklin was a strong candidate early on against for the USC job had he had a little bit of a better closing record. But James Franklin, let's never forget. 2016, 11 wins. 2017, 11 wins. 2018, 9 wins. 2019, 11 wins. So the four years before COVID, 11 wins, 11 wins, 9 wins, 11 wins. And besides Michigan, they were the most recent team to actually win the Big Ten when Ohio State had it rolling. So they've done it before, and in theory they can do it again. I don't think it'll happen, but it's not inconceivable. The other thing that Penn State has going for them, and I don't think you can undersell this, I don't think you can undersell this, is this. They have the number one high school quarterback in America coming in this year, his name's Drew Lar. Now he wasn't number one when he committed to Penn State, but he developed, he got better, he got good. Now, like, that's a, by year three, I don't want to compare because he just had the greatest season in the history of college. Like, that's a Joe Burrow type talent. That's a C.J. Stroud type talent. That's a Bryce. And I'm not saying he will be one of those guys. But he's that kind of talent that can put an entire program on his back and maybe lead Penn State. Don't think it'll happen. Don't think it's inconceivable, though. A couple other ones. First one, Miami. Mario Cristobal had the blueprint. Uh, Mario Cristobal recruits at an insane level. You talk about the 24-7 composite. Uh, It was actually Oregon that was number nine. They were actually ahead of USC, so they've actually recruited better than USC over the last four years. So is it inconceivable that Oregon, now that, excuse me, Mario Cristobal, now that he's gone from Oregon, takes that blueprint to Miami where there is significantly more talent? Could he do it there? Absolutely. question is, will he? Because, again, he was at Oregon. He had the most talent. And this was a guy that went into November twice with a chance to make the college football playoff. Twice came up short. Once it's worth noting, he had Justin Herbert too. And I think we can all look back and say, oh, he may have underused Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert may have been, uh, you know, under, you know, he, he basically underachieved when he had Justin Herbert. Also, by the way, Clemson's still in the ACC. Clemson ain't giving up that throne easily, although I do think I could see as the scenario where Clemson takes the step back. And then finally, And this segment went really long. Uh, The final one is Notre Dame. Don't think it's going to happen. I've talked about Notre Dame a million times on this show. But what I would say about Notre Dame is they've been on the brink. And while I've talked about the limitations that they have, while I've talked about there's only so much, I really think people criticize Brian Kelly. I think he did about as good as anybody could do in modern college football at Notre Dame? They've been on the brink. Marcus Freeman thinks there's another level for them to go to, and we'll see what happens. But those are my seven teams, A&M, USC, Oklahoma, Michigan, Penn State, Miami, and Notre Dame. All right, we're gonna get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I wanna welcome back our partners At DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook, pro football playoffs coming up. DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook has an incredible offer for first-time users. Here's what it is. Pick any game this weekend. Tampa, Philly. Cincy, Vegas. Just bet $5 on one team to win. You like Tampa to crush Philly? Bet $5 on Tampa to win. If they win, if you bet $5 on one team and they win, you get $280 in free bets for a simple $5 money line bet. Here's how you sign up, here's how you take advantage. First of all, click the link in the show description and sign up for a new DraftKings account, DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to make your first deposit. From there, $5 money line bet on any team. And if that team wins, you get an automatic $280 in free cash. Thanks to our partners at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It's the best offer going in sports betting right now. Bet $5 on any team. They win. You get 280 in free bets only this weekend. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IN-Indiana. In in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, must be 21 plus or over to enter, 18 plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only, minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager, eligibility restrictions apply, see DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. Alright everybody, I am back, good to be back, good to be back, and I do want to switch gears, and I do want to talk a little college basketball, because it's interesting, right, like over the last couple weeks, we have talked so much college football, National Signing Day, uh, lead up to the playoff, the actual playoff, some of the other bowl games, that I do think, I don't want to say I've neglected college basketball, but I don't think I've gone as deep in college basketball as I can or will over the coming months. But I bring it up because it has really been, frankly, a a really crazy about six, seven day stretch in college basketball, really dating back to last weekend. Right. Um, Last weekend, just insanity hits. Duke loses at home to Miami. Kansas loses to Texas Tech. You go into this week, two undefeated teams left. USC goes on the road to Stanford. Stanford coming directly off a COVID pause. They weren't even playing well before USC loses. Uh, Baylor, final undefeated team, reigning national champ. They're rolling. They lose to Texas Tech, which, oh, by the way, is a credit to Texas Tech. But I bring it up to very simply say what we're seeing now is what I told you about two, two and a half, three weeks ago. I don't believe there is any great or any best team in college basketball right now. I think, and I tweeted this the other night, I think there's about 15 to 18 really good teams, and I do think on any given night, um, anybody can beat anybody depending on the matchup, right? I don't think there's that much difference between Duke and Villanova, Villanova and Kentucky, Kentucky and... I don't know, Seton Hall, Seton Hall and LSU, LSU and Gonzaga. I mean, I could go on and on, but the point is, I think you, you take the top 16, 18 teams in the country, and it, it's pretty interchangeable. Depends who you're playing, when you're playing them, what time of day, who did they just play, do they have any injuries, do they have any COVID stuff, on and on and on. But what I will also say is this. Well, I don't think there is a best team. I do think there is one team that this week proved that assuming that they win this weekend, they are deserving of the number one spot in the next AP poll. And that team, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll please, it is <laughs> the Auburn Tigers. And for people who don't know, Auburn is in the middle of a phenomenal season, a season that really started during the summer. I had Bruce Pearl on this podcast, I don't know, maybe May or June, right around when his players uh, arrived on campus. And he was really excited about this group. He said he thought they had a chance to do something really special. He said they they had the best front court in college basketball, which we're going to get into in a minute. And we're starting to see it right now. And I think the best example and probably the example that really put Auburn on the national map was Tuesday night. Kentucky takes care of Vanderbilt early. And then later in the evening on ESPN for all of the world to see Auburn goes to Coleman Coliseum and beats Alabama. And I know Alabama's not playing great. I've watched every Alabama SEC game. Uh, They just lost to Missouri, probably should have lost to Tennessee, could have lost to Florida. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that this is a vintage Alabama team and this is the best Alabama team that's ever taken the basketball court. They're not very good right now. But when I watch that game, I'll say this, is one, I thought it was a national coming out party for Auburn. I think everybody knew they were good. I don't think they've had a stage quite like this to prove to people that they're deserving. But I also think that that game proved that if everything goes well this weekend, they're deserving of the number one spot in the country. Let me explain why. First of all, that was a heck of a win. And I know I just said Alabama is not great. Alabama is not vintage as opposed to last year. But at the same time, it is worth noting this is still a rivalry game on the road, a game that Alabama needs to win because they just lost an SEC game. And Auburn goes on the road against your rival and you win. And it wasn't as though it was an easy victory to be had. First of all, what makes Auburn so special, that size up front, they actually lead the country in block shots. Well, guess who got in foul trouble immediately as soon as the game started? Walker Kessler. I don't know if he's their most important player. You could argue it's Jabari Smith. You could argue it's somebody else. But Walker Kessler, a North Carolina transfer, one of the top defensive players in all of college basketball, three and a half, almost four blocks per game, Two fouls immediately. And I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but it felt like a little bit of home cooking, and you're like, oh, my goodness, here we go. Alabama's going to win this game. Auburn's going to lose, whatever. Auburn weathers the storm. Auburn plays really well. And then even when Walker Kessler c- comes back, and he doesn't play very much, he only played 12 minutes, when he comes back, Alabama makes this great run. And you could criticize Alabama for this. You can criticize Alabama for that. But there was a time when Auburn appeared to be running away with the game, and Alabama goes on a great run. And Auburn, like a truly elite team does, like a truly elite team will do in a moment like that, stops, pauses, re, you know, kind of regroups, recovers, and ends up winning the game. And so when you look at that game, in totality with this season, and with totality of Baylor losing on Tuesday night, I believe Baylor, uh, 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 Auburn should be the number one team in the country come Monday if they take care of Ole Miss, and let me explain why. First of all, the record speaks for itself. They are 15-1 overall. The only game that they lost to the UConn Huskies back in November, a game that I watched. I was in Vegas for, uh, frankly, to, to, for some college hoops to watch the Gonzaga UCLA and the Gonzaga Duke games. But I was at the uh, one of the sports bars. I won't name it because they're not my sponsor, so I'm not giving them any free advertising. I was actually watching with my mom. She's a UConn alum like me. That was a great game, and it went into double overtime. It was the best game of the season Isaiah Whaley faints at the end and he was fine and so I'm not making light of it or anything like that but it was a war that could have gone either way Auburn ends up on the wrong side of it and then they end up coming back and winning their next two games in that tournament but I bring it up because first of all they're 15-1 their only loss this season was back in November so a team like Baylor that's taken a loss since then a team like Gonzaga blah 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 whatever on top of that they have a really impressive resume. I saw this stat as of Thursday. They are 9 and 1 in quad one and quad 2 games. So they're it's not only that they're winning, but they're 15 and 1 in beating good teams. Outside of that UConn game, which they ended up losing, obviously the biggest win is LSU. We're going to talk about LSU and Will Wade in a minute. You could criticize Will Wade for a lot, and we're going to talk about it. But LSU's 15-1 right now. Their only loss was to Auburn at Auburn. Auburn took care of Alabama. You can criticize Alabama say they're not playing very well. This is the same Alabama team that beat Houston when Houston was at full strength. This was the same Alabama team that took care of Gonzaga a few weeks ago. Beyond that, Auburn took care of Syracuse by 20, and I know Syracuse is terrible, but when you beat Syracuse by 20, you're doing something right. They took care of Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago's is 12-2 right now. One of their only two losses is to Auburn. The other one was to Michigan State. On and on and on and on and on. Florida, which I know is struggling. My boy, Mike White, might talk about him as well. But I just bring it up to say, you look at the resume. It's pretty darn impressive from Auburn. On top of that, look at who's ahead of them. Right now, they were number four in the country coming into this week. Well, guess what? Number one, Baylor lost. Well, Auburn should probably be ahead of them. They just lost this week. Baylor, I think, is good. But I don't think they have been playing great by any stretch of the imagination. Beyond that... You know who's number two in the country right now? Gonzaga. Gonzaga's currently sitting at 12-2 as I record here. They play Thursday night. I'm not staying up until 11 Eastern to watch the Gonzaga result to see. But let's assume Gonzaga beats BYU at home. I bring it up because I don't think Gonzaga is more deserving than number uh, than Auburn of the number one spot in the country. And you know why? Because Gonzaga, one of their two losses was to Alabama in the state of Washington Earlier this year. Well, who just beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa? Oh, yeah, the Auburn Tigers. UCLA is currently ranked number three. I love UCLA. I think they're good. I think they're underrated. They're another team that has a pretty marquee game on Wednesday night. On Thursday night. They play Oregon. But it's worth noting, even if they win, they're going to be 11-1. and one, And they were on like a five-week COVID pause where they didn't play many of their marquee games, including a game against Arizona. And so when I look at this Auburn team, I believe they're the, d- the number one deserving team. They're the team deserving of the number one spot in the country. Now, the question becomes, are they the really, really the, the best team in college basketball? I think that's up for debate, right? I said it a minute ago. I don't think there's that much separating the teams, about 18 or 20, so, 20 or so teams. There are teams that I don't even think people realize are good that are really good, like Xavier, like Providence. Obviously, I mentioned some of the other ones. LSU, Ohio State, Kentucky is ranked 18th in the AP poll. Kentucky ain't the 18th best team in college basketball. I can tell you that much right now. Arizona's really good. USC's really good. UCLA is really good. Purdue is really good. Ohio State is really good. So I don't know if Auburn is the definitive best team in college basketball. But what I will tell you is this. I've heard Jimmy Dyke say this on a few of the recent broadcasts for Auburn, and I agree with him. He had the same concern that I did, which is they're great down low. Best front court in the country, Bruce Pearl, my guy, said it on this podcast in June, said I think I have the best front court in college basketball in 2021-2022. The concern that I had, though, was are their guards good enough? And I didn't really have an answer for that. I didn't really have an answer for that. I thought they were fine. I thought they were talented. I didn't know if they were elite guards that could take over a game the way that In the past, Jalen Suggs has been able to do a Gonzaga, um, you know, whoever. Uh, the, the, The Baylor guys could do last year the way some of Villanova's guards could do through the years, the way that a Tyrese Maxey or an Emmanuel quickly could at Kentucky, the way a Tyler Hero could at Kentucky, the way that some of Duke's guys could. I didn't know if Auburn's guards were that good. What I would say, though, if you watch the game against Alabama, you notice one thing. Auburn has a kid named Wendell Moore who dropped 20 something, po- 19 points off the bench and was phenomenal and took over that game for a big stretch. And so I bring it up because I say, look, it's January 14th, okay? 2022. I'm not sitting here saying Auburn is definitively the best team in college basketball. We'll find that out. We'll find out, you know, if there is a definitive best team or if it's one of those weird years where a two, three, four seed wins the NCAA tournament. But I am telling you this, if Auburn wins on Saturday against Ole Miss, they deserve to be ranked number one in the AP poll. All right, I do have one last College Hoops topic that I do want to get to before we get out of here, and it's also from the SEC. And we just spent a ton of time talking about Auburn. You guys know I like Auburn. I respect the hell out of Bruce Pearl. Had him on this podcast many times. Really, truly believe that Auburn should be the number one team in the country on Monday if they beat Ole Miss this weekend. But there is another SEC team that is playing really good basketball right now and did something really interesting that I think is worth talking about on the bigger picture, on the grander scale, and that's the LSU Tigers. And on Wednesday night, the LSU Tigers, they went on the road to play the Florida Gators. And I don't think Florida's that good. You guys know where I stand with Mike White. But I do think it's worth noting. They went to Florida without their top two guards, who were both injured, and their best player, Tari Eason, fouled out in seven minutes of play. And they were still able to go on the road and pick up a win against a good team. I don't think Florida is incredible, but a good team in the Florida Gators. And coming out of that game... I had one thought and one thought only, and it's going to make some of you uncomfortable, but I'm going to say it anyway. Say what you want about Torres. You like him, you hate him, you agree, you disagree. I always tell you exactly how I feel on every single topic that I discuss on this show. And that topic is this. You can like Will Wade, and I think if you're an LSU fan, you probably love Will Wade. Or you can hate Will Wade. And I think most people that are not LSU fans are probably not very big fans of Will Wade. I bring it up to say this. Whether you like Will Wade, whether you don't, I think it's time that we acknowledge one simple thing. Will Wade is one of the best young coaches in college basketball. And you can be mad, you can be angry, you can be this. It, I don't think it's even disputable at this point. So let's get into it, let's discuss, let's break it down. And let's start with the facts and the truth. And the truth is that I know many of you, many of you that are SEC fans, are probably even mad that I'm suggesting it. And what I can say is, I understand your frustration. I understand the fact that you guys and girls, many of you believe that Will Wade shouldn't even be working right now. And I can't deny that there's some stuff that's not good, right? I mean, we all saw that HBO documentary. If we didn't see the documentary, we've certainly at least read the quotes. But Will Wade's caught on wiretap saying some stuff that doesn't make him look very good. Specifically, he references a strong-ass offer to Javante Smart. And I'm not excusing what he said. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying under the NCAA rules that existed at that point that it isn't breaking SEC rules if he is guilty of what we think that he is guilty of. But let me also give you a little context around those Javante Smart quotes that I don't think anybody really talks about all that much, okay? So first of all, Let's talk about those Javante Smart quotes. Strong ass offer, Javante Smart. Strong ass offer, Javante Smart. So here's my thought on that, okay? First of all, those quotes were made prior to Javante Smart ever playing college basketball, right? Well, here's the thing. Javante Smart played, and I'm going to do the LeBron James thing here. Not one, not two, not three years. He played three years of college basketball, okay? So he finished last year in 2021, played 2019-2020, and played 2018-2019, which means that those quotes were made sometime in either 2017 or 2018. Javante Smart gets to campus. We find out about those quotes in the winter of 2017 into 2018, okay? And so I bring it up to ask you one simple question. We find out about these quotes in the middle of the 2018 season. Javante Smart missed one game. He was suspended by the school immediately after the first report came out. And after that, the school reinstated him and the NCAA never punished him. And so if what you think happened definitively happened, and I feel like I'm freaking, you know, my cousin Vinny here. If what you think happened definitively happened, why did the NCAA suspend Javante Smart? Yes, you heard something, but one, do we even know it happened? And two, even if it did happen, let's be honest. Is it any different than Bill Self getting caught via text message talking with an Adidas guy and an Adidas guy said, you never let me down. Well, it could mean one thing, but it could, well, could I think I know what it means. And Adidas rep literally told Bill Self, we've never let you down. We've gotten you every player that we wanted except DeAndre Aiden. By the way, as many know, It was later discovered. Zion Williamson lived in a multi-million dollar house his parents did when he was a Duke. I'm not saying what you think happened with Will Wade didn't happen. But what I am saying is it ain't all that different than what, what we know about Bill Self, for sure. And what we know about Zion Williamson before, for sure. And so I just bring it up to say even if it did happen the way you think it happened, it happened everywhere. So, Will Wade isn't the only one that that you should be mad at. Be mad at Bill Self. Be mad at Coach K. Be mad at Mark Godfrey. And I think that's the important part, too. I just mentioned Mark Godfrey. Even if Will Wade did what you think he did, and we have no proof because he's been coaching for three years. The NCAA hasn't punished him yet. The school hasn't punished him. Javante Smart played. Even if he did what you think. Here's an important point. You still have to win games when the players come to campus. And I just mentioned Mark Godfrey. We just found out through the NCAA that NC State did, in fact, get caught paying Dennis Smith's family $40,000. And you could say, oh, who cares, oh, this, oh, that. Whether you think it's, it's the worst thing that ever happened, whether you don't. Here's the bottom line. NC State had Dennis Smith on campus for one season. They had a losing record. Will Wade, here is what Will Wade has done at LSU. Here is Will Wade's record. First of all, first season, kind of a disaster, not going to lie, inherited the Johnny Jones mess. Beyond that, here's what he's done the last three seasons and four seasons, if you include this year. 2018-2019, wins an SEC title, goes to the Sweet 16. That was the year that all the reports came out and he got suspended and this and that. Wins an SEC title, goes to the Sweet 16. The year after, which was the COVID year that gets canceled, NCAA tournament gets canceled. LSU's tied for second in the SEC and would have been a high seed in the NCAA tournament. Last year, goes to the NCAA tournament, wins a game, loses in the second round. So even if Will Wade did what you think, you get the players to campus, you still got to coach them up. Ask Mark Godfrey how easy it is. Mark Godfrey had a losing record with Dennis Smith and Will Wade is going to head to his fourth straight NCA tournament, or it would be his fourth straight NCA tournament, again, had their better tournament in 2020. Beyond that, everybody thinks, oh my God, Will Wade does a, look at the roster that he, and this is the part that trips me out, and this is the part that I think LSU fans appreciate. And this is the part that makes me believe that he's a great coach. It'd be one thing if they were 15 and one and their whole roster was five-star can't-miss recruits, okay, well, here is what their roster is currently composed of. Their leading scorer is a kid named Tari Eason. I just mentioned him a minute ago. Do you guys know anything about Tari Eason? Because I'll tell you about Tari Eason. Very talented player, I should mention. Tari Eason's a very talented player. Tari Eason is LSU's leading scorer. He's averaging 15.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. Tari Eason averaged 7 points per game last season, at Cincinnati and entered the transfer portal literally anyone in college basketball could have had him he ended up at LSU so you tell me that Will Wade does this you tell me that Will Wade does that his best player who oh by the way went from averaging seven a game at Cincinnati to a projected first round pick this year was a transfer from Cincinnati that averaged seven a game that anybody could have well what about everybody else on the roster you're probably oh I mean well let's look at the rest of the roster okay well let's look at the rest of the roster You know who their second leading scorer is? Darius Days. Fourth-year senior. Gone through the NBA draft process three different times. Three different times the NBA has said, we like you, we don't love you, you should go back to school. So that's the guy that Will Wade did a a fourth-year senior that won't get drafted if he declares. What about their third? Oh, their third-leading scorer? How about a kid named Xavier Pinson? Xavier Pinson played at Missouri last year and got – benched late in the season. Now, there was a bogus report that Quanzo Martin got fired on Thursday, but if he does get fired, probably the fact that he benched Xavier Pinson, that in the biggest game of the year in the NCAA tournament, Xavier Pinson played 19 minutes last season. This year, he's playing 28 minutes. He was hurt the other day against, uh, against Florida. Xavier Pinson's averaging 11 points, five assists, two steals. You could argue Xavier Pinson is right up there with Severe Wheeler, with Ty Ty Washington, with Kellen Grady as the most important guards in the SEC. Their fourth leading scorer, Brandon Murray, fringe top 100 recruit, chose LSU over Auburn, chose LSU over a couple other schools, DePaul was one. Their fifth leading scorer, I should mention, is Eric Gaines, another fringe top 100 recruit, who chose LSU over Georgia State, Bama, and Houston. And so I just bring it up to say, if we'll wait, it's time to acknowledge this guy is one of the best young coaches in college basketball because here is the top five players on that roster right now. Tari Eason, who averaged seven points per game at Cincinnati last year, could have gone anywhere. Darius Day's fourth-year senior. Xavier Pinson got benched at Missouri. Brandon Murray, fringe top 100 recruit. Eric Gaines, fringe top 100 recruit. I don't know how else it is to tell you. He got these guys together like so many other coaches in college basketball. He basically flipped over his roster from last year. And you know what? LSU's the number one defensive team in college basketball right now. And so this idea that he's doing anything other than coaching his you-know-what off, there's nothing else for me to say. And if I thought something egregious was happening, I'd say something egregious was happening. You know what I see? I see a bunch of transfers and second, third, fourth-year players that anyone could have had that are now 15 and 1 ranked in the top 15 and they will probably be ranked in the top 10 come Monday. LSU plays Arkansas this weekend by the way. Coach Muss will not be available for that game. Coach Muss just underwent surgery. LSU don't know if they'll have Xavier Pinson for that game. But I'm just telling you man, like like yell at me, scream at me, be mad at me, whatever. I'm just telling you. This is a guy He is about to make what would be his fourth straight NCAA tournament had COVID not canceled the 2020 NCAA tournament at LSU, a place that had not had a ton of recent success before he got there. I know they had Shaq a million years ago. I know they had Chris Jackson a million years ago. I know they had Pete Maravich a million, million years ago. But he's about to go to a fourth straight NCAA tournament, and he's about to do it with a bunch of transfers, second, third, fourth year college players. Okay. I think that's it. I think it's time for me to get out of here. That's all for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Before we get out of here, do want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Fun guest on Monday. UConn fans, you'll like this one, but if you're not a UConn fan, that's okay too. The new UConn football coach, Jim Mora, joins Monday's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is awesome. Mora was amazing. He was great with his time. They are in the middle of recruiting. I did the interview today, but felt like there was enough meat on today's bone that we'll save it for Monday. So, with that said, that is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to get out of here. Before I do, just want to say thank you again for listening, and we'll be back on Monday. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout-out to Tari Easton, who averaged seven a game and could have literally gone to any college in America. Will Wade got him, turned him into a first-round pick. I'll be back on Monday.
1: Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere,